I came prepared. I brought my uh, hanky. So most of you probably know by now that um, I had that video is not pictures that were taken off the internet. Every one of those pictures were taken last week. Uh, most of you know that I had the opportunity to go to El Salvador. My first missions trip, and I say first because I'm hoping and praying before it's over I get to take all of you with me and go back. Ah, so anyhow, let me get to where I can see. Um, so Randy asked me to share my experience tonight with all of you. And it's probably the first time that I didn't try to hide or run away and say, oh, I don't, I don't think so. Um, and it's probably the first time that I might need a, a schedule, a time clock. But anyway, um, I want to thank this congregation, because without you, that trip probably would not have happened. Many of you sponsored me on that trip. Many of you were very generous in donations and yard sale items, and you all supported me in that, and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your prayers. We needed those prayers, and we felt every single one of them. Um, it's so funny because many times I've prayed the prayer and, and I've sincerely meant it and I still do. I wouldn't take it back. And I've asked the Lord, Lord, let me go where angels fear to tread. And I believe he answered that prayer last week. Um, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us to go to the nations and to make disciples of all the nations. And, um, you know, the word is the word. And if, 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 if um, I can do that, then why wouldn't I do that? Um, so I went to El Salvador, and I feel like I've been gone forever, and I have missed you all incredibly. But it has been, it truly was an incredible experience. And I, I, the whole time, every single day I was over there, I kept asking the Lord, how in the world am I going to bring this back to the people of the Palace of Praise? Because there's just so much and it was just such an incredible experience. And there's no way that I can give you a full picture of the events that happened last week. But I'm going to try my best. And I'm going to try to take you through my week. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit about, about El Salvador. El Salvador is a country that has the highest murder rate of any other known country due to MS-13 and MS-18 gang activity. MS-13 and MS-18, they're gang rivals on the streets of El Salvador, and they're known for their drug wars and their merciless violence and killings in the streets of El Salvador. Um, there is no regard for human life. Um, life is taken for as little as $5. A person's life is taken for as little as a cell phone, um, a meal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
Over at El Salvador, children are recruited into gang life. And when I say children, I'm talking about children. I'm talking about five-year-olds, seven-year-olds, ten-year-olds. Um, if you're a male in El, Sal El Salvador, you are at risk to be recruited into gangs, whether you want to be or not. Um, people are beaten and forced to do things that they would choose not to do. Uh, oftentimes, you know, El Salvador is a very impoverished country and people go without food. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that here in a little bit. But when someone says to a 10-year-old, I have food and I can provide you with a meal, but you're going to be a part of this first. It's very difficult for those young children to resist the gang life. It's, it's survival for them. Um, Mothers leave their children to the streets of El Salvador to be raised in gangs just to see to it that they have food. Um, Janice told a story about a five-year-old little boy who was left by his mother to be raised by the MS-13 gangs. And it is said that he begged his mother often to come get him and to, to rescue him and to take him out of that life. Because she refused, he committed his first murder at seven years old and he had reported a total of 40 throughout his life. When you go to the grocery stores in El Salvador, and I wasn't prepared for this, but that's okay. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying I didn't know what to expect. And you can't tell someone that's coming all of the things because they wouldn't come. Um, but, you know, when you walk into the grocery store and you go down the aisle and you turn around and you look back at the front door, you might not have noticed coming in, but there's security guards with rifles, with machetes. You go to the checkout to buy your groceries and you're met by a security guard with a rifle and a machete and they're there to protect you. That's how dangerous it is. Um, you see soldiers up and down the streets of El Salvador all over the place just standing with rifles guarding what's coming and what's going. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not glorifying gang activity, um, but you can't understand the need that's over there unless you understand the threat that's over there. Um, when, we, when we went over there, many of you remember Janice Watkins. She was here on a Sunday night a couple of months ago, and she is the contact that we have for missions over there. She has a retreat center, and that's where we stayed. We were very safe in the retreat center, and it was a very nice retreat center, and Janice took very good care of us, and my biggest concern was what were we going to eat, but believe me, I think I've gained 15 pounds since, since leaving for there because she fed us very well and took very good care of us, uh, but we were very safe. But one of the things that she sponsors and is uh, a director of and oversees and helps fund is a foundation called the Exodo Foundation, and that's E-X-O-D-O. -O. The Exodo Foundation is located on the Retreat Center property, and this foundation houses and provides for children who have no family. Some of these children have family but have been removed from the home because of gang activity or drug life or something like that. And they have the choice, this foundation has the choice to accept them or not accept them. Um, 
but it's very interesting how this foundation is set up. There are homes for the boys and there are homes for the girls. The boys have a home for all of the, the boys that are ages 6 to 12. And then there's another home for the boys ages 13 to 17. And then it's the same for the girls. The girls have two homes, one for girls ages 6 to 12 and then again 13 to 17. When they turn 18 years old, then they, if they meet the uh, standards and the qualifications, then they are moved from these homes to what's called a transition house. Now, in the, the younger children's homes, they have what's called a tia or a tio. A tia is known as an aunt, and a tio is known as an uncle. That's what they call them in their Spanish language. And these people live, there's one per home, these people live in these homes to raise these children. They teach these children, they have church every Sunday, they teach these children the word of God, they teach them English and are encouraged to speak English uh, they see to it that they get to school safely and get home safely, and they are provided meals. It's a shelter for them. It's a very nice shelter for them. So I'm just going to kind of tell you what we did this week because every day was just incredible, and that is the only word that I know to use to explain what happened. On Sunday, we, um, we got up that morning and we had church. We went, they have this little building that they use for different things, uh, for fun, for church services, several different things, but we had church with the kids. We had music with them, and one of the people from our team member actually had a message to share with the kids, and then after that, we played games with them. And um, there were two boys that stood out to me the most, and I think Steve has a picture of both of them. This is Brian, and I hope you can see the look on Brian's face. Brian had just turned 18, and the expression that you see on Brian's face is not, um, it's not one of anger. It's one of great fear. Because he just turned 18, he's moving into the transition house, which means he has to now learn to be independent. He now has to learn to take care of himself. He has to go out and get a job. And Brian is very aware of um, where he's at in life. He's a Christian. Brian has been at the Exodo Foundation since he was an infant. This is the only life he knows. He has been... Um, Janice is like one of his mothers or his tias, that's what they call her. Um, so the look and the expression on Brian's face is one of great fear because he is a prime target to be recruited into the gang life, and Brian knows this. Um, he's terrified. The whole day that we were there Sunday spending the day with him, he cried and he wept, and um, it was because of fear, that he, he is so afraid of going out and getting a job. You know, he had a job interview at a hotel to cook because that's, he's been in a work program and that's what he's done for the last two years and he loves to do it and he wants to be a chef and he really wanted this job, but the hours were going to be uh, through midnight. So that meant he was going to have to be traveling the streets at midnight to come home, which is an impossibility for Brian. It's, it just, it's, he can't do it. So he had to turn the job down. So I sent a message to my family back here at home, and I said, please pray for Brian, because my heart melted for him. Because when I see Brian, 
when I see Brian at 18, I see my son at 18. When my son and my daughter was 18 years old, they were babies. I looked at them and I saw babies. Even though they think they're adults, they were babies. And it, it, it hurts me because I saw so much hurt and so much fear and so much worry in Brian. But he is trying his best to trust Jesus with his life and to lead and to guide him. So please pray for, for Brian. Um, and then we have another picture of another young man. This is Christian. Ah, these two young men left such an impression, a lasting impression on my heart. We left on Friday, um, Saturday. We left El Salvador on Saturday. And before we left, we made a stop to every single one of the homes there on the retreat uh, center property to tell them all goodbye because they were just so excited that we were there. Um, they just love you. It is unconditional, pure love. And they are so thankful and grateful to have you there because they know that you're there for no other reason but to be a blessing to them. And um, his name is David, and he, he was very shy. He was very bashful. And I, I got to talk with David for a while through an interpreter, and um, I just fell in love with David and I got to talk to him about his name, and I got to share some things with him about David in the Bible, and he is a Christian also. You know, they know about the Bible. They study the Bible. It's, they, they spend time in the Word and in prayer every day. Um, but I wanted to share David with you as well. I'm not sure how long David's been at the Exodo Foundation, uh, but he paints. So that picture that, that you see right there, he painted that, and it actually came back to the States with us. Um, let's see. So that night, <clears throat> I really debated on whether or not I wanted to share this story with you because, again, it sounds like I'm glorifying something that I'm not. But again, I'm trying to paint you a picture of what life is like over there. Their normal is not our normal. Um, so we, we actually had dinner at a restaurant on top of a volcano. And when I say on top of a volcano, it was on top of a volcano. And it was actually the highest peak of El Salvador that we went to, where this restaurant is at. And um, I was actually in the truck with Janice. I was sitting up front in the passenger side. And two of the other leaders that were with us were in the same truck sitting in the back. And so Janice had rented a bus every day of the week that we were there because there just wasn't room for everyone. So everyone else was on that bus. This was a different bus than what uh, the drivers normally sent, and it actually sat lower to the ground. So when we made our turn to go to make our last road up to the volcano, this bus could not make that turn and could not go up the steep hill. So one of the uh, men at the bottom of the hill, who just happened to be a civilian, said, hey, I know another way. Let me show you this other way. So they got Janice's permission, um, and we felt like it was all right. So Janice felt like it was all right, so they, they went that way. So we got there before they did, and when we pulled into the property to the, where the, I was expecting a restaurant, to where the restaurant was, um, it was actually elevated up off the ground, and you had to go up some stairs to get to the top to the restaurant. 
And when we pulled in, the first thing I saw was three men that looked like it could be any of you dressed in civilian clothes carrying rifles with three really large, scary dogs. And so that I wasn't expecting that. So I looked at Janice and she just, you know, grinned and we just kept on going. We get out and we go up to the top of the stairs and there's this gentleman standing there and he's well-dressed and he's a very clean-cut, nice-looking man and he owned the restaurant and he also had a pistol on his side. And, you know, I didn't say anything, but I knew there had to be a reason and I knew that we were safe or Janice would not have taken us there. I completely trusted Janice with everything uh, while I was there. She knows what to do and what not to do. But that was very frightening at first. Um, but we ended up having a wonderful dinner at an absolutely incredible restaurant with the most incredible view that I probably have ever seen in my life. And I think one of the pictures was in the video that we saw. But when we left, of course, we had to go back down the same way we came up. So we went back down in Janice's truck, and we got to the bottom of the hill, and we pulled, you now it's nighttime, so we pulled over to the side of the street, and we're sitting there waiting on our bus to come by, and the bus doesn't come. So one of the girls in the bus texts the pastor, the woman, uh, pastor's wife. Her name is Lauren. She's a pastor. She, um, she was in our truck, and so she, the girl texted Lauren and said, we're having problems getting down. So the owner of the restaurant actually, she said, he's going to help us down. So we said, okay, sounds good. You know, we're just going to wait right here on the side of the road. So we waited probably for about 10 minutes, and, and um, next thing I know, here comes this truck that whips out around us and pulls up in front of us and backs up and stops. And in the back of this truck is a man with black pants, a black jacket, a rifle, and a black ski mask. And so I looked at Janice, and I said, is this a friend or is this a foe? And she said, oh, this is Tony. It's fine. It's fine. So the owner of the restaurant, he went and he uh, got some people off of that bus so that it wouldn't be so heavy so that they could make their way down. And I said, all righty then. So anyway, we all got back together and we were on our way. Why did I tell you that story? Because it was scary. And because this is El Salvador. This is life for them. Um, and the reason he had a ski mask on, she said he was probably cold because at the top of the mountain at the volcano, the temperature was much cooler, much cooler than it was down there where we were. Um, but anyway, I wanted to share that story. And again, you can't understand the need in El Salvador if you don't understand the gang life, if you don't understand the danger, if you don't understand, you cannot walk down the street and feel safe. These young boys and these young girls cannot run the streets of El Salvador and run across the street and play with a friend in their front yard the way our children do. It's, it's, it's the way that it is over there, and it's incredibly sad. Um, so that's, that's how our Sunday went, and I'm actually going to skip to Thursday, and there's a reason I'm going to skip to Thursday, because when I tell you about something else, you can't really understand that until you understand this. Um, there is a Hope Center in the heart of MS-13 gang territory in El Salvador. 
And this Hope Center is funded through Joyce Meyer Ministries and Abigail Association, which Janice is, um, she, she founded Abigail Association. She leads it and she, is direct, she directs it. It's a nonprofit organization. And the children over there in El Salvador, they only go to school half a day. They go to school from 7.30 to 12, and then half the kids go to school 7.30 to 12, half of them stay home. The other half go to school from 1 to 5.30, and then the ones that just got out, they're out for the day. So they have nothing to do for half a day. Um, but that's where this Hope Center comes in, in NMS 13 gang territory is where this is. What they do over there at the Hope Center, they feed these children. They provide education for these children. They teach them. They teach them math. They teach them um, English, and they encourage them to speak English. Um, they teach them different studies in school. The Hope Center provides them a place to be safe. It gets them off the streets until Mom and dad get home from work. Uh, if they work, um, they get off and then they come get their kids. So the Hope Center, they just moved from one Hope Center to this new Hope Center because they actually outgrew the one that they were in. The one that they were in, they had space to uh, have a medical clinic, to have dental care, different things like that. They don't have this, they have the space for that here where they're at, but it's unfinished. So when it's finished and completed, that's, what, that's the vision that they have, is to provide all of those needs for the children. So they actually do have a Hope Center in the MS-13 gang territory. Now, one thing you have to understand about El Salvador is the homes over there, the buildings over there, everything is made of concrete, and it's painted. Windows, all of the windows, whether it's home, business, no matter where you are, they are covered by iron bars. The doors, it might have a regular door at the door, but on the outside of that door, you have another door, which is nothing but it's either a large metal gate that covers the whole house, or it is a iron door that is locked. Every home is behind a locked, gated door. Um, and so was the Hope Center. The Hope Center was no different. Um, so back to Monday. Monday here in the States was Labor Day. And I'm sure all of you were home, hopefully having a good time, having a barbecue and that kind of thing. But while we were in El Salvador, we had a Labor Day too, but it was probably not quite like your Labor Day. We labored and labored and labored, and we labored hard. We, um, there should be a picture, I think, of the pastor and his wife of this church that we went to. This is Romero and Romero and Carla, and um, Romero has this church, which is actually in the heart of MS-18 gang territory. He has been at this church for two years. It has taken him two years to gain the trust of the people of this community, and on Monday, for the first time ever, we didn't know this at the time, but for the first time ever, Janice and uh, our team, the first mission team, went to this territory, and we went to this church. And we had instructions. If you see something that looks weird or odd, don't look, don't stare, and we didn't. 
I try to keep my sunglasses on. Um, but anyway, Romero told Janice, okay, I think it's time. I think it's time to come. So let me explain to you. I don't remember if I had them put a picture of the path in this one or not, but if I did, you can go ahead and put that up. But let me explain to you where this church is and, and how it is set up in this community. When you pull up on the side of the street, again, all of the homes are concrete. All of the homes are blah, um, just solid concrete. And so there's an open field right here, but there's this little bitty small path that if you don't know what's there, you're not going to see it. And on the back of these homes is just a solid concrete brick wall. And right the, the width of a car, that much length, there is the church doors, the front doors of the church that Romero pastors. And he does have a congregation, and many of them were in the video. Um, so he asked us to come to the church. The plan was on Monday, we were going to go to a, do a medical outreach in MS-13 gang territory, but we couldn't because the government had given notice that they were going to shut the power off to that community. They do that different frequently. They do that at different times. They'll just make an announcement, we're turning the power off. So we could not go do the medical outreach in where we wanted to go, um, we couldn't stick with the plan, so we decided Janice had paint that she was going to give this church for the, for the pastor and the church members to paint the church, but because we could not do what we had planned, we decided to go paint the church for them. They actually had a service on Monday night, and they had no clue that we were painting this church. So there should be a picture of the before in the inside of the church. That is before we painted it. It was painted two different colors of green. And uh, so we surprised them before their service that Monday night. We painted the whole inside of that church, and we also painted the outside of the church. So there should be an after picture also. And it's very nice. It was two different colors, one light brown and one... Um, beige color. Anyway, it was very nice. So we, we worked really hard painting that church, the inside and the outside of it, on Monday. And um, while we were there, Janice had, had come to myself and Lily and Lauren and um, wanted us to go for a walk. So we walked the path. Now let me just say, this path that runs between the wall and this church, this path is where MS-18 gang members travel in and out every day and at night. So we went with Janice on this walk, and um, we didn't know it at the time, but we were walking past these gang members to get where we were going, and um, she took us to a piece of property. And you have to pass the school to get to this piece of property. So it is completely adjacent to the school. And it's a good piece of property. And she explained to us that um, the mayor had told Romero, the pastor, that he would give him this piece of property and he would also put it in Romero's name with the promise and the agreement that there would be a Hope Center built on that piece of property. So we went to that piece of property, we looked at it, we walked it, and we prayed over that piece of property. Um, you knew 
you knew with the traffic, you know, and the cars, you knew where you were. We weren't ignorant of that. We knew what was going on. But, you know, God went with us. And I, you know, someone sent me a message while I was there and said, um, are you scared? And I said, no, I'm not scared. I said, I would be scared if I didn't know that God sent me here. But I know that God sent me here, so I have perfect peace. So, no, I'm not afraid. Um, and we weren't afraid there on that piece of property, even though knowing the things that were going on around us. And we just knew we were covered. And I believe a lot of that is because we knew that you all were praying for us. And I believe most of that is the, the covering of prayer that you all were doing here. So, again, I just want to thank you for that because we did have perfect peace. And if we were afraid, we could have been hurt or caused someone else to be hurt. Um, so pray for that piece of property. Pray that God's favor would be upon them. You know, they're going to they're gonna get that piece of property. And the same thing that is going on in the MS-13 gang territory with that Hope Center can happen in the MS-18 gang territory. You know, I noticed a distinct difference between the children on Thursday that were at the Hope Center and the children that we met on Monday and Tuesday in the 18 territory. And um, I can just see the difference. So on Monday, we painted, um, we painted the inside and the outside of that church. On the side wall of that church was the, the, the side wall of the church on the outside was covered in gang graffiti. So we painted it. Do we have a picture of the gang graffiti? I'm not sure if that's what's next. This is the side of the church, and um, yeah, we painted over that, and we were told later that it will either be painted over the next day, uh, or they don't appreciate that kind of thing, so anyway, but the Lord was with us, and to my knowledge, it has not been graffitied again. It is still the way that we left it, so I give God praise for that. Um, so that was on Monday. So on Tuesday, we turned the inside of that church into a medical clinic outreach. Um, when we got there, there were chairs lined up all along the wall, not this wall, another wall that is also covered in graffiti. And every single one of those chairs were full. People over there do not have, they don't get adequate medical care. They don't have money for insurance. They don't have money. Vitamins, prescriptions are not available to them for medical care. So what we did, we had four doctors come to provide medical treatment to the people that came, and it was all free. These people donated their time. Um, one of the doctors was on our team, went with us, the other doctor is the pastor of this church, or this church, Romero, and then two other doctors who are friends of his. All of those doctors in El Salvador, minus the one that we brought, they are all unemployed. The reason that they're unemployed is because the government considers them the wrong political party, so they refuse to employ them. Um, so let me explain how this medical clinic worked. When... People were sitting in the chairs lined up on the wall, and someone at the door would tell them to come in. It was, 
it served as a waiting room outside. So they would come in and they would be seen right here um, and be triaged. Then they would go to one of the doctors, whoever was open. They would go to that physician next. Once they saw the physician, they would then come over to my side of the wall. And there were about four or five of us lined up on the side of the wall with a chair sitting opposite of us. They didn't know what they were going to get when they got in that chair, but everyone was required. Pretty much everybody that came through that line that day received free medicines. Um, everyone did. They received vitamins. They received ibuprofen. They received antibiotics. So after they left our side, then they could go to the pharmacy and get their prescriptions filled. The pharmacy was just a little area where three pharmacists were working. And so if for some reason they bypassed my side and went to the pharmacy, they got sent right back over to my side. So what we did, the four or five of us, when they sat in our chair, we would have a short conversation with them, and then we would ask them, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Do you know the Lord? Is he in your heart? So we would have that conversation with them, and, um, you know, either a lot of them did because a lot of them are a part of that little congregation of that church, but a lot of them did not. So that day, 34 reported salvations took place. Yes, praise God for that, because that is incredible. That is why we went. That is why we give them free medical care. That is why we give them free prescriptions. That is why, that's why we go. That's, it's, it's about the kingdom. But they had a need that was met. And when you meet someone's needs, then you show them, I love you, I care about you, and I want what's best for you. And I said 34 reported because there was one that was not reported, and he was a 10-year-old little boy that sat in our chair, and we didn't fill a card out for him. So really, 35 people gave their heart to Christ that day. We had a total of 37 known salvations throughout the week because in a service on Thursday morning, two more people came up and gave their heart to Jesus. So we praise God for all 37 of those lives. Um, but one thing, you know, again, it was right in the middle of MS-18 gang territory. And at the very back of that building that you see, probably 20 feet, well, probably right here, there is a hill. And um, at the bottom of that hill is a concrete slab that the children used to play soccer on. And we could see down the hill. You know, there were some trees, but, I mean, it was just right there. So we were standing um, there painting that wall, watching some people paint that wall. And there was a little girl. She was about 10 years old um, standing there with us. And everything was going fine. All of the chairs were full, lined up against the wall. And we were just going on about our business. And the next thing we know is we hear gunshots. And, you know, we were not scared. I would not say we were foolish because we were not. But we were not afraid. We knew what it was. And we all just kind of stopped and we looked at each other. And the little girl was standing right here. And she was saying something in Spanish. We couldn't understand. This is her. We couldn't understand what she was saying, and because she realized we couldn't understand what she was saying, she just picked both of her hands up, and she just made gun signs, and, you know, what do you say? And we just kind of shook our head at her like we acknowledged what was happening. 
What bothered me the most is not that there were gunshots. What bothered me the most is this little girl. She didn't run. She didn't run inside the building. She didn't go looking for her mom. She didn't yell out. As a matter of fact, nobody, nobody lined up on that wall to receive medical care flinched. And it's because this is what they live every day and every night. They have become accustomed to it. They have no hope. They have no hope. And when we came, you know, they, they saw hope. We brought them a message of Jesus. We brought them medicines and, and love and care. And that's what we took to El Salvador, to these people, is hope. And that's what they saw. And I, I just, you know, that's, that's what we have to give people. Um, people die every day on the streets of El Salvador. And they have just grown accustomed to it and just accepted this is the way. This is the way that it is. But I also want to tell you that um, that day, while we were in the medical clinic, and while we were sitting in our chairs praying for the people that came in, there was an MS-13, no, sorry, MS-18 gang member that came in and came through the line, and he sat in a ministry chair. Now, I don't speak Spanish because I don't know what that conversation was, but I know his girlfriend stood behind him, and we motioned for her to come get in our chair. So she came, and she sat in our chair, and, um, you know, we talked to her, and... I don't, she, did, she didn't say, she didn't pray the sinner's prayer that day, but she did ask for prayer for her family. So we prayed for her family. We prayed favor. We prayed blessings. We prayed God's protection. We prayed for health for her family. And we loved her. And we got to show her love. And, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know what made them decide to come in there unless it was the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it doesn't matter. We got to minister. We got to witness. We got to be light. We got to love without judging. And they got to see Jesus in us. So I'm thankful for that opportunity. Um, on Wednesday, oh, I'm sorry. I think the next picture might be the wall that we painted. Okay, that's, that's what we painted over the graffiti. And then we painted something else on it. Because you can see this wall from different places in the neighborhood. You can see it from where we heard the gunshots. And this is a tree, and there is scripture all over the place written in Spanish. And at the other end of the wall, it says, Jesus wants to forgive you. So they're going to see that. Unless they cover that up, they're going to see that when they're walking that path every single day. And when they're sitting outside in their neighborhoods, they're going to see this. And that tree represents the tree of life. So, yeah, that was pretty exciting. And we're excited that it is still there. <laughs> we're thankful for that. And, you know, that just tells me, I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you are. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants hope. And that's, that's what I think that says for them. Um, the last thing I want to tell you about is Wednesday. Wednesday, we went on a two-and-a-half-hour uh, two ride up the mountain to a little village called Victoria. It's a little community of elderly people. 
And there is a feeding program up there at a place called Transform Cabanas. It's called the Cabanas. And so we took food, and the food that we took was just simply a sandwich, a bag of chips, and a choice of a Nutri-Grain bar or a bag of cookies and a cup of lemonade. And these elderly people come every other day for that meal. That is the only meal those people are going to get. And they get it once, and they get it every other day. And they walk a little bit of a distance to get there to get that meal. So we spent, the, the, we spent some time with them. We put on a little church service. We did praise and worship and a message of hope and love and of Jesus. And then we got to pray for them. And it was a beautiful, incredible time with them and with the Lord. And I'm just so thankful to have that opportunity. From there, we took a 10-minute drive farther up the mountain, which was probably one of the most incredible things I've ever done. Um, I won't tell you how we got there. Okay, I guess I will. So anyway, we were in the back of a truck that has wire bars all around it, and you stand up it, and you feel like you're in a roller coaster that's going upside down. But anyway, it was wonderful, and it was incredible. And we went to a children's feeding program. Now, this, this is also funded through Abigail Association, and what they do is they buy meals to last a month, and they take these meals to this area um, monthly, and it's stored there. And the mothers in this community, they take turns. They're on a rotation. They take turns coming to this very small building. I wish I was good with dimensions, but I'm not. It's a very small building, just enough room for them to get in there and to cook this meal. And what happens is at a certain time of the day, every day, the mothers and the children, the, the mothers that are not cooking, bring their children to this building with their bowls in their hands, and this is the meal that they're going to get for the day. The day that we were there, they got um, milk and rice. And that's what the moms prepared that day for the children. The next day, two different moms would prepare another meal. And the children will walk up the hills, down the hills, around the curves, on these streets that you saw, with their bowls in their hands for their meal. The moms and the dads, they're on their own. The feeding program is for the children. So they feed the elderly and they feed the children. Now, I did not tell you all of those things to make you sad, to make you fearful. I told you those things, again, for you to understand the need over there and for you to understand the need for missions and for missionaries. Janice lives over there. She's called. You know, I'm not called to go over there and live, and hopefully the Lord doesn't ask me to do so. Um, but I would do what he asked me, I do believe, um, or go wherever he asked me to go. But there is a need over there. And on Friday, we had a free day. It was beach day. We worked all week. We labored all week. So we all went together as a team and as a family, and we got to spend the day here. And it was just beautiful. It was incredible. And I just really cannot, I don't have the words to tell you how incredible that week was. Even with all of these things that are unpleasant, to see the Lord work in the lives and to see the Lord work and to move in the lives of these people. And 
I can tell you I have not ever, I don't believe in my life, witnessed such thanks and such gratitude as what I witnessed in the people over there this past week. You know, we, the day that we did the medical outreach, the restrooms in this church, um, it's probably not this big. I'm not exaggerating. It's big enough for a toilet seat. There's a toilet seat here enclosed, and there's a toilet seat here enclosed. It's a square box. There's no light. You need to find out where the toilet paper's at before you get in there. And it's a real toilet, but it doesn't flush. And they have these big concrete, I don't know if it's a cistern. It's not a sink. Anyway, it holds water. And water is expensive over there. So they're very careful not to waste their water. But in order to flush your toilet, you had to go dip water out of this concrete block and you would just go dump it in the toilet and it would flush right on down. Well, the day that we did the medical clinic, there was a woman who stood at the doors of those bathrooms all day and she absolutely refused to allow us to flush our own toilets. And she did it so cheerfully and with such grace and she was so honored to do that for us and you know we tried no 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 no. I'll do it I'll do it no 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 she wanted to do that for us it was all she had to give it was all she could do to help us help her and there was a service on Thursday and I'm almost finished. I hope you're not bored. There was a service on Thursday at this church um, to celebrate and kick off a feeding program that's going to take place there for the children in this area. This is new for this area. And so this is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, but we had spent two and a half days with these people at this church. And... Before we left, I see it so many times here in our own church when visitors come and pastor calls them up and has them stand in front of the congregation and has the congregation to come up and pray over them. I've seen that many times and I've participated in it many times. Before we left there on Thursday, this pastor asked us to come up and to stand in front of the congregation. And he had the people of that church to come up and to pray for us. And, you know, I can't tell you. I can't explain. I cannot explain. You know, I asked the Lord, help me to convey what I experienced over there with the people that I love over here. I can't explain what happened when they prayed for us. But I was so humbled. I was so incredibly humbled by their prayers because they were so thankful. And tears just ran down their faces. And they were so appreciative. And they were so humbled. You know, there was no attitude of entitlement. There was no attitude of... I deserve this. There was none of that. There was none of that. They prayed for us, and they loved us. They hugged us. They loved on us. They prayed blessings. They prayed favor. I don't speak Spanish. 
Janice does, and she said, let me tell you, you all were just prayed for. And she didn't have to tell me that. I knew it. I knew it. I could feel it. I could feel the presence of the Lord. I could feel the love. And, you know, one of the things that I want to say, there was a language barrier between me and them, but there's no language barrier when it comes to love. There's no language barrier when it comes to compassion. People can see right through it. They know if it's real, they know if it's genuine, and they know if it's not. And, um, you know, the Lord sent us over there to be light in the midst of darkness, and I pray that that's what we've done. And I do know that there was an eternal impact made that week that can't be taken away. There was an eternal impact that was made for the team that went and for the people of El Salvador. And we had a great time in the Lord And, you know, not everybody can go to El Salvador. I realize that. But whatever you have to give in your hand, give it. And give it with a cheerful heart. You know, whether it's love, whether it's compassion. If you can contribute somewhere, somehow, some way. And we can. We all can. We all can. We can all give out of the abundance of our heart. But we're all called to be light in the midst of darkness. Now, whether you're light in the midst of darkness in MS-13 gang territory or whether you're light in the midst of darkness in MS-18 gang territory or the streets of Popper Bluff or Popper Bluff Senior High or Black River Medical Center, wherever you are, you are called to be light in the midst of darkness. And Matthew, the word tells us that I'm going to read this scripture and then I'm going to be done. The word says in Matthew 25, 35 to 40, he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So when you do it unto anyone, you're doing it unto the Lord. So keep that in mind. Um, At this time, we're going to pray. I wasn't going to have you to come up here, but I think I am. So if you don't mind, let's just come on up here. And I just, I don't know if we can make a circle or not, but I would love if we could just join hands and just make one big circle. We may have to spread out in some pews. I don't know. And tonight, what we're going to pray for, I want us to pray over that piece of property that Janice took us to. That is going to make an incredible impact and an incredible difference on the streets of El Salvador in MS-18 gang territory. I want you to pray for that piece of property. I want you to pray God's will be done. I want you to pray the favor of the Lord upon Romero and Carla, the pastors of that church, and that... um, that the needs would be met to see that Hope Center done, to see that Hope Center built. You know, there, there's going to have to be groundwork. There's going to have to be water run. There's going to have to be electricity. There's going to have to be money to fund it. And 
that takes resources. I want you to pray over that piece of property. I want you to pray for missionaries all over the world, not just El Salvador. I want you to pray for their safety. They're going to dangerous places, you know, and uh, I want you to just pray a hedge of protection upon them. And I, I pray God's favor. Pray God's favor upon them. That's what we're going to pray this week. We're going to pray over missionaries and missions and um, even yourself. You're a missionary. You might not go somewhere else to do it, but you have a mission right here to serve. Uh, so let's just, let's just do that right now. Precious Lord, I just thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, God, to go, Lord, to the nations, Father. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you have opened my eyes, Lord, to something, Lord, new and to something I've not seen and witnessed before, Father. God, I pray, Lord, for Janice, Lord. I pray, Father, for Romero and Carla. I pray your hedge of protection to be upon them, God. I pray that the favor of the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, Lord, would be upon them, Lord. I pray, God, that you would provide the resources, God, that they need, Father, for that church to to grow, Lord, to minister to the hearts, Lord, young and old, to the lives, Lord, of the streets, Father, of the MS-18 gang territory in El Salvador. Father, I pray, God, that you strengthen them, Lord, to be light in a dark place, God. Lord, darkness cannot dwell where there is light, Father. And I just plead the blood of Jesus over that church, over those pastors, God, and over Janice, Lord. I pray, God, that, you, that heaven would come down, Lord, and would just kiss them, Father, with grace and with favor, Lord. I pray for a fresh anointing upon Romero and upon Carla, God. I pray, Lord, that you give them wisdom, Father. Give them wisdom, Lord, in the moment, Father, to know what to do and what not to do, God. I'm asking, Lord, that you do a work, God, in that area that only you can do. Father, I pray, God, that you meet the needs of those people in that community. I pray, Lord, for the missionaries, God, that have gone abroad, Lord, that have obeyed your command, Lord, that have obeyed the call that you have put upon their life, Lord. God, I'm asking, Father, for favor, for anointing, God. I pray, Lord, that you lead them and guide them, Lord, and help them, Father, to go in the name of the Lord, Father, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, unafraid, Lord, to go, Father, where you've asked them to go, Father. Lord, they go with a cheerful heart, Father. They go, Lord, in obedience to your word and to the the voice of the God, Father, to the voice of our God, Lord. Father, I just plead the blood of Jesus over them, Father. I pray over that property. Father, I give you thanks for what you're doing, Lord. I give you thanks for what you've already done. I give you thanks for the testimonies. I give you thanks for the 37 lives, Lord, that said no to sin and said yes to Jesus. I give you thanks, Lord, for the 37 lives, Lord, that declare with their mouth that you are Lord, that you are God Almighty, that there is none other than you, Lord. There is none like you, Lord. I give you thanks, Lord, for the opportunity to love upon those people, Lord. And I pray blessings upon them, Father God. Lord, meet their physical needs, Lord. Many came, Lord, with sickness, God, and with ailments, Lord. Many came, Lord, with fear, Father, over the lives of their own children. And God, I pray, Lord, that you just pluck those children, Father, out of the hands of the enemy, Father, and that you set them down, Lord, in the right place, Lord, that they can receive you and to know, Father, that, that you you go before them, that it is your hedge of protection that is upon them, Father. 
Lord, I just pray for missionaries all over the world, Father. God, that you, Lord, would keep them and protect them, Father. Lord, that when the enemy would come against them, God, and raise a hand to take a life, Lord. God, that you would just put a shield of protection upon them, Father. Lord, you say no, Father. You say no, Lord, to the enemy. Father, I just praise your name. I give you thanks. I thank you, Father, Lord, for a heart to serve. I pray for this body, Lord, for a heart to serve, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, to the things that we have not seen. Lord, your word says that, that you will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Father, we're hungry for that, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make the sacrifices that we need to make, Lord, to see those things come to pass. Help us, Lord, to hide in your presence, Lord, and to trust you with all things, Father. Lord, let us be willing. Let us be willing, God, to say yes. Let us be willing, Father, to go where you've called us to go and to do what you've asked us to do, Lord. And let us do it, Father with a cheerful heart, Lord, without hesitancy, God. Father, I just praise your name, and I give you thanks, Lord. Lord, for your kingdom's sake, Lord, for your name's sake, Lord, we do these things, Jesus. Father, I just give you thanks, Lord, and in Christ's name we pray, amen.